0: To serve a goat or a to summersome with us, sir. No more to serve a goat or So something vital and um, replaceable to be made out of this um, body in terms of Dhamma practice and something that's uh, um, often lost. Since by large we live in a rather disembodied uh, society, cultural, we live in a culture and a society that is driven by abstractions such as time, purpose, uh, future, wages, um, expectations, plans, um, insurance. um, social expectations, um, social judgments, social categorization, um, definitions in terms of job, um, performance. We live in very much woven into a world of abstractions that are socially generated um, that are psychological, emotional, conceptual and create a huge uh, pressure Intensity in our lives. So they become 90%, where ideally they might be 5-10%. Not to say that it shouldn't exist at all, but uh, the way they exist to a point in which one is barely present, uh, always uh, and barely grounded at all and uh, communities of beings who are not grounded uh, have uh, very susceptible to reactions and to being programmed by thoughts and psychologies, advertisements, propaganda, bias, bigotry, misinformation and so forth. Because yeah, we have no independent ground We belong to the medium, to the media. That's a very disturbing notion. need to get some leverage on that, some relief from that. This is largely where our suffering is our compulsions, <coughs> and our craving, and our worry based on this. Not really based upon the nature of the body. And so this to, to a huge extent and to an increasing extent, to a extent, that's where well the proportion to what is uh, presented in the Buddhist scriptures, where there was no um, medium other than nature. Yeah. There was no advertisement, there was no time, there was no job, there was no, uh, none of that, there was no trajectories, there was just birth. Generation, regeneration, regeneration ageing, death, sickness, health, you know, certainly a context that wasn't all beneficial, but, but not this hugely abstracted psychological model. Mm-hmm. So not, no loss of ground. Mm-hmm. And so we come to meditation, you know, whatever one teaches, whatever we say, it's always, always working with obsessive thoughts. Is that is ninety percent of what people are dealing with? Sometimes obsessive, really painful thoughts, thought processes, um, uh, obstructive, wounded, sorrowful, or just driven, crazy, frantic, or worried, or. Uh, Mind rushing forward into fantasies and so on. So that's the reality of it, isn't it? So I guess for most people these days. Not dealing with, you know, leprosy or fear of tigers it's, or hunger, dealing with obsessive thoughts. Often of a negative, critical, self critical nature, self aversion. So, uh, in this respect, coming into body is just a way of just stepping back from that. That's his kind of most obvious um, benefit. And when we reflect upon life of the Buddha, even without all that, even in that domain still he spent many years (coughs) searching for um, to get out of the body to get into what was conjectured to be some kind of immortal boundless state his aim was to realise the deathless (coughs) so where's that? well we recognise bodies die so it can't be that it can't be in that (coughs) bodies die so as a deathless it's out of the body and so his fundamental practices were uh, yogic practices of suspension of bodily process into um, mental states mm. subtle refined mental states and yet recognized after a while becoming excellent in those still this was not adequate because they used still have the nature to be generated entered and then left and then you're back again on this again. So they haven't really resolved it. So as it's said in the suttas, your real realisation came through entering the body. This seems strange. Since bodies die how can you find the death that's in your body? Well you found it in the mind. But he found it in the embodied mind. <clears throat> so it says in the body, it's not in the flesh, it's not in the tissues, so it's definitely death bound. It's not in some sensory condition. But it's in a. We could say it's in an intelligence, an awareness that is embodied. To the extent to which uh, the embodiment, which is how we got here, carries with it the potential for groundedness, stability. Since the mind has no natural basis in itself, you can't find a solid thought, you can't find a a grounded emotion, they're always moving and changing, but perhaps in the sense of being embodied there's a certain stability that you can tune into, it's not difficult, it may be difficult to stay with it. That's right across the board, isn't it? We can find some sense of still steadiness in that steadying effect. We can find balance. This is what bodies do. And there's intelligence that moderates that. that sense is well, now you're grounded, now you're not grounded. Uh, now you're here, now you're not here now you're just getting thrown out into uh, thoughts and we even recognize what it is to go out the fact that you know you're going out Here you I'm know, getting going out onto da 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 there's some understanding there's, a, there's such a thing as out there's such a thing as not out <laughs> what's that? what's it like when you stay home? So if we realise, here yeah, I'm really going out, what's the opposite? Can you, What brings you back? Home, oh, base, ground, here, here, here. Now that's, um, that's the embodiment, by which I don't mean it's the tissues, but the embodied intelligence which says you have a particular place called here. It's not sensorial because that here can be in this house or this street or this river or this ocean or this airplane or this uh... so it's not a sensory. A sensory definition of that can change, but the basic intelligence of being here is not bound by a sensory condition. Mm? It's independent of that. Part of one's alive. Say that, yeah. And you can enter that sense of here through this physical tuning into this physical form. The hereness of here, the sense of having a location. Now, the mind itself, or well the disembodied mind, has no location. You could be in Africa, you could be ten years ago, you could be dinner with your aunt, you could be next moment planning birthday, planning vacation. It could be anywhere, anytime, place, anywhere. It has no ground. The abstract, the disembodied mind is, has no ground. Therefore, it's always because ground is so necessary to have any perspective on anything at all. You can have some basis from which to measure what's happening, whether to go into or not. We establish ground on belief. Because I believe this, everything else is this. Because I assert this position, everything else is this. Yes. So we establish ground on a belief, a dogma, some kind of doctrine, or a state. Yeah. This is what I am, I am this state. Therefore, everything else is something else. My ground is me feeling happy and so forth. But I don't always feel happy. Oh dear. Uh, well I pretend I'm feeling happy. <laughs> or if I say I'm not feeling happy, then I oh well get over it, change it. No. No. Someone who's doing that is having to constantly keep tweaking or adjusting or bluffing or their their state of being. Because we're not always happy. Happy is an emotion. It comes and goes. But we can be grounded to say, this is a painful feeling. Hmm. It's like this. This is a sense of loss. It feels like this. It's a sense of being hurt. It feels like this. Hmm. I'm not shaken by that. I don't enjoy it. I'm not shaken by it. That's ground. You don't find that in emotion. You don't find that in the mind. And because you don't, one doesn't find it there, one seeks ground in things that are groundless, such as, I believe in this. Everybody who doesn't believe it is wrong. I have this position, I'm nationalist, liberalist, communist, socialist, conservative, fundamentalist, ecologist, biologist, ethnologist, whatever it is, and everything else is wrong. (laughs) Cultural relativism becomes an absolute ground, and people can definitely, the fever, the fervor for that ground is such that we can very much attack. Criticize, wound, look down upon, despise people who don't occupy that same piece of social cultural territory. She's one of those. She's a neocon or unreformed, something or the other, I don't know if I was socialist, deconstructionist, rationalist. <laughs> you know those. Where I'm an intuitive, empathic i a philosopher. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, for your flavour? So, yeah, but that's always going to be in, in group and out group, isn't it? And uh, it's also just not true. It's not, you know, some pieces of social cultural territory. Seem to be more uh, in harmony or more inclusive no, than others, true enough. But what happens to the, um, you know, empathic, socio, socio-liberal, ethical like philosopher when well, it's got a headache, <laughs> or it's freezing cold, you know? or it's hungry, or it's sick, or something? Suddenly, the, the labels disappear, don't they? We're just a human being. Yeah. So why couldn't we make that the ground that would include everyone? And even more than that, what if you're just being? Yeah. We include creatures. Just being sensitive, empathic, non-violent, recognising and honouring and respecting the presence of others in the shared domain, with no dogma at all rather than to others as to myself. Safety. So ground, very important. and you find this in, in embodiment and you can look at the larger implications of that and, but then primarily right now as a meditation uh, as an entry to meditation How you get any perspective on what's going on without having that Pieces. otherwise I'm just operating from theories and trying to be happy, wise, compassionate, enlightened, clear, balanced. Yeah, great, but you're not here yet. Mm-hmm. So, ground is here. Presence is here. How is that? Making much of it, uh, making much of it is beginning to find the places, places where you do feel a sense of settledness, and widening your awareness to include other areas that are less settled, not quite so steady, and including areas that are unsettled. feeling all kinds of difficult, groggy sensations around my head, throat, spinning out. Okay, let's just go back to sitting on the ground, walking, standing, feet, and just focus on that. And wider one's awareness to include all that. So, this sense comes through body. With this begin to bear in mind, you know, where do you think, what would you reckon to be the basis of mind, what do you mean by mind? Again, here we do inherit uh, a long-standing tradition of separation between body and mind, beginning with the Greeks and going on through Christian thought. Mind, spirit goes up to heaven, body, carcass dumped on the ground. Mm. Uh, mind, spirit, lofty, divine, body, animal, bestial, passionate, sensory. Yeah. Uh, mind, clear, rational, logical, body, full of instincts and passions. Mm. Yeah. Mind, intelligent, educated, bright. Sophisticated body, clumsy, brutish, ignorant. <laughs> yeah. mm. So we inherit some of that to some degree. It's not there in, in the world. so. The Buddha is saying, well, sitting under a tree, remembering being a young boy, feeling a sense of harmony in the body, breathing in and out. Mm. So very much experiencing himself in terms of being a body. Not uh, the sensory body, but the sense of having a safe place, location. And then from this, the mind feeling settled and comfortable. It could be as simple as that. If one's body intelligence is awake, it's remembering it, settling into it. Here I am, here's this. Very mind or place for your consideration. Just as the vision, the experience of vision, is dependent on having an organ of the eye, just as the experience of hearing is dependent on having eardrums, experience of mind is dependent on having a body. Where else could it be? Floating around somewhere in thin air? And when you feel fear, don't you feel that in your body? When you feel happiness, do you feel that surge in your body? you feel panic? Do you feel that rush in your nervous system? Do you feel comfortable and settled, doesn't that affect your body? Mm. feel tired, weary, does that affect your body? Depressed, doesn't that affect your body? And buoyant, doesn't that affect your body? So is, a, you know, even to not particularly refined intelligence, recognize that, you recognise know, that profound mental patterns are have bodily equivalence, the two are not separate. And here we have to, of course, address what we mean by mind, which again in Western thought has become, since Descartes anyway, a thinking system. And in Buddhism this is not the case thinking is one of the things that occur in mind but most of mind is about mind states such as love, hate uh, expansiveness tightness, contraction jhanas sublime states, pity, rapture uh, shame, fear in other words we call it heart or emotional psychological emotional states felt experiences so mind is basically the felt experience Immaterial felt experience, receptive, being affected. This is mind, and it's based or co-nascent with, or simultaneous with, or dependent upon embodiment. Therefore, rather than psychologizing our mind states, we embody them. Not saying that psychology is no place in life or clarity, but um, for meditation, process is one of not psychology, any more than just to acknowledge this is a fear, this is aversion, this is a sense of being belittled and intimidated, and then how is that as a bodily experience, how does that feel in your body? body doesn't necessarily present a lot more details of the chronology of that or the history of that, but it does present a place for the discharge of that mindset. And for the ending of suffering, this is the point. You know, who knows who shot the arrow, why they shot the arrow, how big the arrow was, how many times you got hit by it, which direction it's coming from not so important as getting the arrow out of the wound so this is what embodiment does, you can feel that sense of tightness or shock or irritation or speediness or wobbliness and come back to the healthy intelligence balance, groundedness Stay with that. Aware of these afflictive states without losing reference to the healthy state. So actually, stay with the healthy state and you need to expand your awareness and bring the two together till the healthy state has the power to gradually smooth out or flush out the distressed state. Just as a large river will capture a small river, yeah. Just as a, a, a strong air current will capture lesser air currents and carry them along with it, so the predominant state will capture the lesser state of embodiment of mind. Therefore we want to make the dominant state a healthy state, not the diseased state this must be one's basis so uh, and recognizing that the, that the healthy state is innate. that's it's Trump card It may not be that strong. It may be that the predominant state may be the you know, unhealthy state in, a, in actuality. Or in real time. In what runs, it may be a series of afflictive or confused or misdirected programs. That may be running a lot of the time, true enough. But then we're not really, in meditation, we're not really operating in terms of time, in terms of place, in terms of place, in terms of place location the predominant state is healthy because the true location the true hereness of here is innate it's not been programmed by um, attitudes, psychologies praise, blame success, failure being liked, being disliked being good, being bad, being successful, being helpful it does not prove any of that. It's already here before that. It's here before you were born. You were here before you even came out of the womb. You were here. <laughs> That's what being conceived is about. You're here. Yeah. You don't know what it is, but you're here. You have a center in terms of location, that is the dominant. In terms of dynamics and running on programs and running on activities, indeed, the predominant may very well be the programmed. They've got to make it the inadequate, the reactive, the compulsive, the dysfunctional that may be largely there but meditation we're not going into this is why you have to be really careful about doing in meditation careful about it, not saying there's no place for it, really careful about it because dependent, but I would guess for many people a large amount of doing is associated with their dysfunctional stuff they need to get their fear of not making it, their sense of disappointment with themselves for not being adequate. Um, They're trying to fix it programs. They're searching problems, problem-resolving programs. I have a problem, let me fix it and change it. Yeah, there's a place for that, but meditation isn't the place for that. It doesn't mean either do we keep our problems going, we, we come into a place which is non-problematic, which never had a problem, doesn't know what problem is. Because it's not associated with doing. If you do, if you associate with doing, there will be times when you can do, and times when you can't do. Times when you know what to do, and times when you don't know what to do. That's always the case, no matter how smart you get, there's always going to be something that you don't quite know what to do yet. Or you didn't quite get effective, you didn't get it done quickly enough. It doesn't matter how intelligent, how smart, how developed you are. That is always the case. There's still something you don't quite know yet. Yeah. Something you didn't quite get right. That's the nature of Doing. You know, it's the kind of classic image of the brilliant nuclear scientist who forgets which, where his socks are. Or doesn't know how to tie his shoelaces on. She'll do this is that. Because there's only so much you can handle in doing. There's always something that drops off. Or they, they can't hold a conversation. Like you, know. here, some of these brilliant people are completely dysfunctional emotionally. You want to live with them. They're so much up in their heads. So you can't do it all. And the mind can create creating more and more things to do, to have to do it, in order to achieve a state of excellence. It doesn't go there. It just goes to the same paradigm. You kick the can down the road to the next set of didn't quite get it right and then oh, I've forgotten and made a mistake with the mind. You know, my business is great but my relationships are disastrous. Yeah, my relationships are good but my work I'm completely all over with. My brain doesn't work. Yeah. You know, I can't dance, whatever. You know, something. That's doing. You've got to be careful with how much you expect out of doing. And really your doing is just to keep setting up certain pointers. Am I here? using the mind for inquiry and for holding and for sensitizing and for that and for what can be released now, what can be undone now. Because although your doing sets up a trajectory that always asks more of you, undoing it takes you to release. And undoing is something just like unfastening a shirt or taking your shoes off. It definitely requires a little bit of expertise to do the undoing. Well that's that's the trajectory for meditation. So you know simply speaking, you know, one undoing is to just shelve or step back from the complexities of one psychology and self definition of personality into just here because in terms of placement, place this internalised place always carries the mark of freedom. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it it doesn't have to be anything. It's just the sense of here. This comes through in body. So, as is recognised, the Buddha presented his teachings on meditation. Begin with body. And you can say, we put aside the sensory body. This is a, this death-bound. This is impure. When we got our own physicality, this leaks, it's constantly leaking, grease and oil through the skin, sweat, tears, mucus, so forth, through the skin, urine, so forth. It's just leaking, leaking bag. Which is not a great thing to identify with, indeed. No to really get upset about. <laughs> it's just, uh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> what do you expect out of this? <laughs> Breathing it out, you can do that. You can do that fine, then that's good enough. Uh, moving around, you can do that. Uh, uh, sources of polished perfection, no, they can't do that <laughs> glistening, luscious, attractive things no, they can't, they can't do that but they can do breathing in and out walking, sitting, so use them for that. <laughs> that that does give you a sense of perspective right? well, go for that way this way might be for one's welfare and happiness this way is not going anywhere there remedial Mm. well there we are because of course uh, that isn't the standard message of the medium most people find it extremely distasteful even negative you know some sort of cynical negative statement. It's true. It has to be true. You know, anybody that's what they like, they you know nothing or you or me particularly, it's just that's that's the nature of it. It has not to, to be a problem if you don't expect more than that. But of course the sensory world very much presents and expects more than that from something that can't do it. So enormous um, money, is <laughs> <it's> a general, <laughs> of course, involved in selling people things that will try to make their bodies more than what they really are. That's why it's, it's a crime to tell the truth, <laughs> because it goes against the money. It goes against the dream that keeps us uh, bound in a world of bondage. But well, because of that, because we've all inherited that, then access to this other sense of the body can be uh, difficult. Basically, because one's attention and sensitivities haven't gone there, haven't learned how to go there. Yeah. Once you started crawling around and got up on your hind legs, then you, you know, learn how to ride a bike and swim. You basically got the kit together, and that's the end of that. And then you start dealing with the externals. <laughs> So we really often haven't developed much more than about the age of nine. And sometimes, we, internally, sometimes we've even lost it, we've forgotten what it is to be nine, where you're actually quite lively and quite in your body, you know, quite playful, quite, you know, and then we've become increasingly clumsy through just looking at screens and books and stuff like that for years and years and listening to ideas. So, not through one's evil intentions, but through confused priorities or priorities that become overemphasized. Not to say they have no importance, but overemphasized. Priority on social programs it means your attention's gone out. It knows all about fine tuning appearance, it uh, knows all about. Uh, Language, gestures, terms of phrases, words. It doesn't know about meaning. Real meaning. Meaning has to come from inner ground. This is really what's meant, rather than just believed or expected, or what I think is polite or useful or what you want to hear. I've forgotten how to speak the truth because I don't know what it is. I've learnt the messages, but I've forgotten the truth. My truth. I've learnt the language, but I've forgotten the truth. As we can see it's an increasingly chatty world. Because people desperately want the truth. So you can say more and more and more you'll get it. More and more talking, more and more text, more and more Facebook, more and more internet, more and more communication, more and more brings the read will get the truth. More and more words, 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 Get the truth. No, you don't. Because they can't do it. Yeah. They're not about the truth. They're about explaining the truth, maybe. But they're not the truth. They're contrived. We had a language before we had words. A language of heart. A language of presence. A language of authenticity before we had words. And we swapped it for words. So, a lot of meditation is about silence isn't it, you I'm chatting away, it's about listening behind the language to what's really being felt, how that's affecting my mood, my energies, my nervous system, is there anything in this where I get a sense of, aha, uh-huh, the truth where something shifts and you feel the shift and you feel a resonance and something, energy shifts and changes from speedy to steady, from sluggish to awakening from running round to stasis, there's a shift that's the truth, you just touched it and you touched it in your body. And it can be difficult to really get that because we've lost some of the pathways into that. So sometimes we just flashes of it, where you get intuitive resonance, where you feel suddenly more settled, more here, clearer, grounded. How do I don't want to get that? Something I heard, something I remembered, something I sensed suddenly flashed and there was a triggering. What happened? You didn't quite see the pathway. But the pathway is into this embodied quality that we've lost access to. presence truth reminds us where we are where we are is here is always present, open, available imperturbable and some senses, some intuition, some things can cause the mind to return. Much of the Buddha's teaching is a series of wonderful attempts and plays and structures to help that to occur. So it comes from. Eventually, becomes much less just the flash, intuitive flash, but increasingly uh, uh, an increasingly strong sense of presence. When you walk, when you sit, when you listen, even when you speak. So much so that it's said of the sage even when they speak they're silent because the speaking is coming from the silence of their presence So features that can help to form those tracks, those pathways to presence, uh, by and large we use uh, mindfulness of body for postures, sitting, standing, walking, reclining, which the, uh, all have their particular places. Sitting is quite vigorous in its own way, just to hold the body up, back. Use some strength. Use use that the lower body region, basically the, the lumbar back muscles, holding the body straight, taking up a firm position. A certain strength there. Standing increases, takes the pressure off the back, because you're using the feet rather than your tail as an anchor, so you tend to weight, take the weight of the body down to the feet, rather than just rest it in your pelvis, takes the pressure off your back, helps the shoulders to relax, helps the lower belly to, to relax and open up, because you've got a lot more space underneath. Walking helps you to take it a moment at a time. One of the troubles of meditation can be, you know, I'm okay for ten minutes and then I just can't handle it. Mind is drifting off, can't maintain access. So then we walk. I can lift one foot up, put it on the ground, feel that sensation touching the ground. Take the next foot one step at a time. And carrying through that what we begin to sense with standing, balance. So you're never walking forward, you're always just walking, letting forward happen. You don't push your body forward or incline forward. You let the walking mechanism happen and the body carries you forward, which is rather different. And space This is something that becomes more apparent with standing, though it's always there. But standing, you must be, uh, you become, because your front of your body opens up a lot more with standing than when you're sitting. And standing, you know, see these surfaces of the body seem more open, and you can sense the space around you. Similarly, when you walk, you carry that space with you. Yeah, you, you know, I'm sure you practice all these, reclining, restful, sense of uh, uh, rest, repose, relaxing things. It means you begin to, first of all, you probably fall asleep after a while you can begin to be mindful in lower energy states when quite helpful because in lower energy states you get the less rational aspects of mind the felt sense of safe, sheltered Mm -hmm. is there in reclining because you're vulnerable if you're vulnerable and yet you're present you feel open and yet I'm okay it's a, a nice state because there you're, you're least active and therefore some of the defenses are down and the doing this is down. Therefore we become something a little more childlike, primary. Let's attend to walking. Also to um, point out a couple of things. Whole body walks. When you really uh, want to just understand how is walking, then please bear in mind you cannot walk just with your feet. They have no. Uh, you have to lift them. <laughs> so that involves legs. Legs can't operate without a back. So if you notice, walking really begins in your lower back when part of your body puts weight onto one side of the body so the other side of the body can lift and the lift begins right in the back lower back where this haunch and the buttock and the lower back pull and the leg continues that to lift the leg up and then the body swings slightly to loft the leg forward places it down foot comes down and and uh, ...without any particular impetus to it... ...because we're not walking to get anywhere. Now, to overcome or to neutralize the sense of walking to get somewhere... ...which of course is a non startling walking meditation... ...because we're not doing walking, getting anywhere. If you're walking to have that mentality... ...or that unacknowledged paradigm in the mind... Walking meditation is intensely frustrating, because you don't get anywhere, you get bored with it backwards and forwards, is just frustrating, monotonous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so we don't walk in that sense, getting somewhere, and for this it's helpful to get out of what I call corridor walking, which is where the sense the perceptual field is extending forward through the eyes. a narrow tube you're walking down because that normally is how you walk you walk down a lane down a corridor, down an avenue, down a path to get to the door the sign at the end of it down that way well that's useless for walking meditation but so instead of that get out of the corridor get out of the hallway get off the lane And now you're walking in open country. You're walking on a beach. You're walking in open country. Which is nature, isn't it? This is where we were born. We weren't born, well, maybe we were. But as a a human species, we evolved out of the land. And there are no corridors. And no lanes. And no doorways. And no signs. It's just open territory. Open country. What's it like? Can you remember? Have you walked in open country? Have you walked recently or long enough in open country and just felt the delight of it? The openness, the space around you. Walked with your ears listening. Walked with your skin sensitive to the wind and the coolness and the sunbeams and the shadows of the leaves falling on your skin. Have you walked like that recently? Have you walked with your ears open to the sound of creatures around you? Have you walked with no hurry to get anywhere, with no destination, just walk for the sheer joy of walking? Have you walked like that? You probably haven't walked like that anywhere near enough. <laughs> You've probably walked in order to get to the car. (laughs) To get to the next place where you walk to get to a door. To get to the elevator. To get to the chair. So, walking in open country is like wide in your perceptual space. Plenty of room around me, both sides of me. Let your body walk as if you're swimming. More like that, you know? sense of all you have to walk to is the next centimetre in front of your chest uh, but that moves along as you move along it moves along with you it's always a centimetre that's opening in front of you rather like walking through water where the wave the water parts in front of you and swo- and covers you wraps around you and closes behind you just like walking through that then you'll feel the whole body walking and it gives you location because your location is always here completed you're not peering over the top of your location with your eyes you're not sensing it as some tiny little sensation in your feet you yeah? it's your whole lo- location your here is walking through open space open country and that can be for the discarding of pressure, of speed, of hindrance, of psychologies of making something happen, or getting to a point, or getting it good at it, or wondering how to do it, or am I doing it well enough? This is this the right system to bodies walk and yeah. yeah, they carry presence as we walk this is beautiful so let's have some time for walking mindfully in open country your open country you know, is the openness of your mind and we can return here in about 45 minutes is there someone who will be ringing the bell this morning thank you so if you could give us a a we'll ring after 45 That'd be great. Anoyang damakaya saduka rama se sadu sadu sadu.